Krishna Dandy guys back for an episode of Dungeons and Dragons. And today we're gonna either finish or almost finish talking about different races. So we got three left. Today we're gonna do at least two, maybe try and find a third. Oh yeah, during halftime I got some new things to talk about. Uh like uh the future for this podcast, stuff like that. But first of all, I'd just like to thank you guys for listening, tuning in and listening. You guys have been such great listeners, and I'd just like to thank you for tuning in. But I also have a, a tiny favor to ask you. Could you guys please, please, I don't pay the advertiser show all the w- only way it gets you on the world now. So could you guys maybe just tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone you think, you think would like the show. And uh, that would be a big help. So let's hop into the episode. So our first race to talk about is half-elves. So half-elves, as you probably all guessed, are half-human, half-elves. Either one human parent, one elf parent, two half-elf parents, uh, a half-elf parent and an elf, a half-elf parent and a human. Many combinations, but they're all considered half-elves. So half-elves will combine the traits of humans and elves, and uh, yeah, they're can be good diplomats, ambassadors, because they know what it feels like to be, like, they're not exactly an elf, but not exactly a human, so they're always, no matter what, different, except among other half-elves. So, as always, I have a little clip to read, let me get it, I think, all these ones I think are in the first handbook. And, uh, yeah, and then we're going to talk about, like, your personality, how to play your half-elf, like, some stuff like that. And then we're going to talk about names, and then we're going to talk about your game stats. So here's the clip. <coughs> <coughs> so Flint squinted into the sand sun. He thought he saw the figure of a man striding up the path. Stand, uh, standing. Flint drew back into the shadow of a tall pine to see better. The man's walk was marked by an easy grace and elvish grace. Flint would have said, yet the man's body had the thickness and tight muscles of a human, while the facial hair was definitely humankind's. All the dwarf could see of the man's face beneath a green hood was tan skin and a brownish-red beard. A longbow was slung over one shoulder and a sword hung on at his left side. He was dressed in soft leather, carrying tooled, uh, carefully tooled and intricate design of uh, the elves' love. But no elf in the world of Kryn could grow a beard. No elf but... Tannis? said Flint hesitantly as the man neared. The same. The newcomer's bearded face split into a wide grin. He held open his arms and before the dwarf could stop him, engulfed Flint in a hug that lifted him off of the ground. The dwarf clasped his old friend close for a brief instant. Then remembered his dignity, squirmed, and freed himself from the half-elf's embrace. Now it's from Marjorie Waith. Uh, Weiss, Marjorie uh, Weiss, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and Tracy Hickman, and it was from the book Dragons of Autumn Twilight. So, half-elves will always walk in two worlds, they'll, but they'll never truly belong to either. So, uh, they combine what the what some say are the best qualities of their human and uh, elven parents human curiosity inventness and ambition 
but that's tempered by the refined senses, love of nature, and artistic taste of the elves. So that actually has pretty good combined. Some half-elves live among humans, but they'll be set apart by their emotional and physical differences. And some will, uh, some will live among elves. No, the ones that live among humans will also, the sad thing is they'll watch their loved ones age as they barely, as time barely affects them. But if they live among elves, they'll grow restless as they reach adulthood in the timeless elven realms. While the people they grew up with are still consider act like, still act like children because elves don't reach aren't considered adults till a hundred. Uh, yeah. So many half elves, since they're unable to fin, that either societies will travel either travel the world or join with other misfits or outcasts, or if they can find some half-elves, they might live with them. But that's not very common. Half-elves aren't... Like, they're not unheard of, but they're not that common. That's why they're part of the uncommon races. So, as I said, they're of two worlds. So, the humans, half-elves look like elves, and the elves, half-elves look like humans. They are... Yeah, so in height, they're around the same height as both parents. They're not as slender as elves, but they're also not as broad as humans. So they can be around five to six feet tall. And they're from, they can weigh from 100 to 180 pounds, when, with men only slightly taller and heavier than women. And uh, half-elf men do have facial hair as we heard in like the the thin i read the little clip and uh yes and they'll sometimes grow beards the mask to try and mask that their elven ancestry and uh the coloration and features are somewhere between humans and elves uh so because of that they can show a variety of like eye color, skin color, like, features that is not found among other races. So, yeah, they but they tend to have the eyes of their elven parents, if they have any. So, diplomats and wanderers. So, half-elves have no lands of their own. There's no half-elf kingdoms or anything like that. Though they're very welcome, they're welcome in human cities and somewhat less welcome in elven forests, but still welcome. And uh, in large cities and regions where half-elves and elves, like, often interact, there might, have, there might be enough half-elves to form a small community. Because they, they really enjoy the company of our half-elves because other half-elves are the only one that can, ones that can truly understand how they, like, how they're of two worlds and they'll never really fit in among, unless they're amongst other half-elves. So, in most parts of the world, though, half-elves are uncommon enough that one might live for years without meeting one, without meeting another half-elf. So, uh, some half-elves will avoid, like, usually want to avoid people altogether, and they'll wander the wilds as trappers, foresters, hunters, adventurers visiting civilization only re like rarely and when they have to so uh like elves are driven by a wanderlust that comes from their lawn life and uh yeah 
but others will throw themselves into the thick of society and they'll put their charisma and social skills to great use in like roles like diplomats and swindlers. So names. So usually half elves will either have human or elven names. But as the emphasize that they don't really fit in either society, half elves raised among humans will uh often are often given elven names and if they're raised among elves they'll often take uh human names. No, they'll often give them human names, but sometimes they'll change the name to better fit in with that society. So half elf traits. So so half elves since humans don't really have any traits, they just have this really good ability score improvement then which is all their ability scores go up by one. So half elves have some traits unique uh that elves have and some that are unique to half elves. So first of all the charisma goes up by two and two other ability scores of your choice go up by one. Uh age, so half elves mature at the same rate of humans. They reach outhood around the age twenty and they live much longer than humans though they can live up to 180 years so alignment uh they'll usually share the chaotic bent of their elvish heritage they'll value both personal freedom and creative expression they'll usually demonstrate neither love of leaders uh nor desire like for followers and uh they don't like they they laugh at rules, resent people's demands, and uh they'll sometimes like try and prove purposely prove unreliable or at least unpredictable. So usually they're chaotic and then another alignment, either chaotic neutral, either chaotic evil or chaotic good. So size. So they're usually about the same size as humans. They range from five to six feet tall so your size is medium so speed the base walking foot speed is 30 feet dark vision thanks like because they're related because like they're related to elves they can see in the dark they can see in dim light up to 60 feet as if it was bright light and then they can see in uh in darkness up to 60 feet as if it were dim light and then also from elves they have fey ancestry which you have a vantage on saving those against being charmed and magic can't put you to sleep. And uh, now they have uh, a trait unique to half-elves, skill versatility. So you gain proficiency in two skills of your choice. Remember, proficiency is where normally you just add, like, uh, let's say I'm, uh, let's say I, I'm proficient. Those, let's say there's these two arcanist uh, skills. Arcan no these two intelligence skills arcana and history i'm proficient in arcana but not in history so for history i just add my intelligence modifier which let's say is plus two so i'd get a plus two in history but for arcana i'd add the plus two which is my intelligence modifier so i'd add my intelligence mother and my proficiency bonus because i'm proficient in it as you level up in D D, your proficiency bonus will go up uh, at first level, it'll be plus two. And then you also get languages. You can speak, read, and write common and elvish, and one extra language of your choice. So, half-elves, another thing, they make excellent ambassadors. Like, 
They can learn at a young age to get along with everyone, to defuse, like, aggressive situations. Like, as a race, you have the elven grace without elven aloofness, and human energy without human boorishness. So, uh, they'll often make excellent ambassadors and go-betweens, except between elves and humans, because the each side will suspect that the half-elf is favoring the other. So, that's half-elves for you. So, uh... Let's so we're gonna cut the half we're gonna do half time and then if there's time after half time we're gonna do half work and if there's time after that we're gonna try and do the final race tearflin. So yeah. Oh one last thing. Uh yesterday I was just supposed to put out the second episode in the seven day seven hours cycle. Uh, but this will actually be episode episode two in seven day seven hours, so they make up for that. I'm going to put out two episodes tomorrow. Episode uh, day three and four will come out tomorrow in the seven day and seven hours uh, cycle, okay? So, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some of the new changes for this podcast. So first of all, soon I'm going to get a YouTube channel. It's going to be the D&D guy, like, that's going to be with what's called i'll tell you the details when i get it and basically you can listen to the episodes on what you normally listen to it or you can listen to it on youtube and uh on the screen there'll be a picture of the podcast cover art which i'm gonna change probably sometime later this week i'm gonna change it soon and uh yeah so also if you haven't done already you can ask me your questions about D, like anything you want like and, like, you can ask me your questions, like, what ideas for the podcast, uh, ideas for the podcast, stuff like that, at thednyguy@gmail.com. It'll be in the episode's description, and it's thednyguy@gmail.com. No spaces, no capitals. And, uh, yeah, so, remember we were talking about different pantheons? So, we only have one more year. Last time, we did the Celtic and Greek pantheons, because these are sample historic pantheons you're talking about. This time we're going to do the Egyptian and Norse. And then next time we're going to start talking about how you create your own pantheon. Oh, and we're going to hold a vote soon about what extra content you want to do. So I have two extra content books we can do. Xander's Guide to Everything and Volo's Guide to Monsters. For the remaining days in the seven days, seven hours a week, we're going to do extra content from those books. So you can contact me at thednyguy@gmail.com. It'll be in the episode description. There'll be a link in the episode description. Just click on the link and and I'll bring it. And then you can like, you can email me there. Uh. And so you can email me there and tell me if you want to have extra content from Exam's Guide to Everything or Follow's Guide to Monsters. The one of the most votes wins. You can only vote once, and uh, if no one votes, I'll just choose which one, alright? So, yeah. So now let's talk about the Egyptian deities. This is in our sample pantheon. So, we, as always, I'm going to say the deity, what they're the god or goddess of, their li- like this, their alignment, the suggested domains for clerics, and their symbol. So, Rehorakti. God of the sun, ruler of the gods, lawful good, life, light, solar distinct, circled by a serpent, 
Anibus, God of Judgment and Death, Lawful Neutral, Death, Black Jackal, Apep, God of Evil, Fire and Serpents, Neutral Evil, Trickery, Flame and Snake, Bast, Goss of Cats and Vengeance, Charted Good, War, Cat, Bess, God of Luck and Music, Charged Neutral, Trickery, Image of uh, Miss Hapen Deity, uh, Hathor, Goddess of Love, Music and Motherhood, uh, Neutral Good, Life, Light, Horned Cow's Head with Lunar Disc, Imhotep, uh, God of Crafts and Medicine, Neutral Good, Knowledge, Step Pyramid, and I'm probably not pronouncing these right, Isis, Goss of Fertility and Magic, Neutral Good, Knowledge, Life, and, and I don't know what this is, A-N-K-H, and Star, Neft, Neftis, Goddess of Death and Grief, Charlie Good, Death, Horns Around a Lunar Disc, Os, Osiris, God of Nature and the Underworld, Lawful Good, Life, Nature, Crook and Flail, Pater, Ptah, God of Crafts, Knowledge and Secrets, Lawful Neutral, Knowledge, Bull, Seth, God of Darkness and Desert Storms, Chartic Evil, Death, Tempest, Trickery, Cloud Cobra, Sobek, God of Water and Crocodiles, Lawful Evil, Nature, Tempest, Crocodile, Head with Horns and Plumes, Thoth, God of Knowledge and Wisdom, Neutral, Knowledge, Hibis, which I also don't know what it is. So now the Norse deities. So Odin, God of Knowledge and War, Neutral Good, Knowledge, War, uh, Watching Blue Eye, Ager, God of the Sea and Storms, Neutral Evil, Tempest, Rough Ocean Waves, Balder, God of Beauty and Poetry, Neutral Good, Life, Light, Gem and Crusted Silver Chalice, Forceti, uh, Forceti, God of Justice and Law, Neutral, Light, Head of a Bearded Man, Frey, God of Fertility and the Sun, Neutral Good, Life, Light, Ice Blue Greatsword, uh, Freya, Goddess of Fertility and Love, Neutral Good, Life, Falcon, Frigga, Goddess of Birth and Fertility, Neutral, Life, Light, Cat, uh, Himdal, God of Watchfulness and Loyalty, Lawful Good, Life, War, Curling Musical Horns, uh, Hell, like, Hell, it's spelled, I don't know how I would pronounce this, if I pronounce it like Hell or something like that. H-E-L, Goss of the Underworld, Neutral Evil, Death, Woman's Face, Rodden on one side. Hermod, God of Luck, Chaotic Neutral, Trickery, Wind Scroll. Loki, God of Thieves and Trickery, Chaotic Evil, Trickery, Flame. Nijord, God of the Sea and Wind, Neutral Good, Nature, Tempest, Gold Coin. Odor, God of Light and the Sun, Chata Good, Light, Solar Disc, Sith, Goss of War, Chata Good, War, Upraised Sword, Skati, God of Earth and Mountains, Neutral, Nature, Mountain Peak, Suter, God of Fire Giants and War, Lawful Evil, War, Flame and Sword, Thor, God of Storms uh, and Thunder, Chata Good, Tempest, War, Hammer, Thrym, God of Frost, Giants, and Cold. 
Uh, Suto and Thrime are ones that they took and put them in D&D. They're god, they're like some giant gods. Suto is a god of fire giants, and Thrime is a god of frost giants. So Thrime, god of frost giants and cold. Chalk evil. War, white double-bladed axe. Uh, Tia, god of courage and strategy. I think they also took that. Lawful neutral, knowledge, war, sword. Ula, god of hunting and winter. Charlotte neutral, nature. Lombo, so yeah, uh, the sends are halftime, and uh, let's go back into the episode. Okay, so let's talk about the half work. So as always, I have a little clip, and then we're going to talk about personality, stuff like that, then we're going to talk about traits. The war chief Mern roused himself from his sleeping foes and his women and pulled a short hauberk of heavy steel rings over his thick, well-muscled torso. He usually rose uh, before most of his warriors since he had a strong streak of human blood in him and he found the daylight less bothersome than most of his tribe did. Among the bloody skulls, a warrior was judged by his strength, his fierceness, and his wits. Human ancestry was no blemish against a warrior, provided he was every bit as strong, enduring, and bloodthirsty as his full-blooded king. Half-orcs who were weaker than their orc comrades didn't last long among the bloody skulls, or any other orc tribe for that matter. But it was often true that both human blood gave a warrior just the right mix of cunning, ambition, and self-discipline to go far ahead, as Merlin had. He was master of a tribe that could muster 2,000 spears, and the strongest and the strongest chief in Thar. Uh, that was a clip from Richard Baker, Sword Mage, and his book Sword Mage. So, uh, personality. So, whether you're united under the leadership of, like, a mighty warlock, or having fought to, like a, like, a point where they can't, they don't fight each other anymore, orc and human tribes will sometimes form alliances, and they'll join in the force large hordes that will terrorize the land. So when these alliances are sealed by marriage, half-orcs are born. Half-orcs are half-orc, half-human. Uh, so some half-orcs, because of their, like, they'll be, they can be just as strong and enduring and fierce as their orc, like, as other orcs. But they can also be cunning, which can make it, which can give them advantage in trying to become a tribe chief. So, uh, yeah, some might venture into the wild to prove their worth among humans and more civilized races. They'll venture into the world uh, to prove their worth to humans and more civilized races, prove that they're not just savage beasts. And uh, many of these become adventurers. And they can achieve greatness for their mighty deeds. And, uh, yeah, and they can also, yeah. So, half-orcs, uh, half-orcs have, like, grayish skin, sloping foreheads, jutting jaws, prominent teeth, and towering builds that make the, like, the orcish heritage plain. Like, if you look at a half-orc, and you know what a look orc looks like, you're gonna say, okay, that guy is an orc. Like, you're, that's might probably be your first thought. 
Your second thought is, is he doing anything to harm me? If yes, run screaming away because half, because orcs are dangerous. Uh, yeah. Probably like, yeah, half orcs aren't necessarily bad or evil. They're just like usually living among other orcs will turn them evil. It's just easier for them to turn evil. That's why. So, uh, half orcs stand between seven, uh, five and seven feet tall and can usually weigh between 180 and 250 pounds. Orcs regard battle scars as tokens of pride and ornamental scars as, uh, like things of beauty. Other scars do, like, can mark an orc or a half orc, like, as a former slave or disgraced exile. So, uh,. Any half-orc that's lived among your orcs has definitely a scars. And you, they're either tokens of pride or, like, things of embarrassment. And they'll, like, tell a story about their past exploits and injuries. So, uh, a half-orc living among humans might display these scars proudly or hide them. Uh, or, like, hide them in shame. So, those orcs have their own pantheon of gods. The leader of them, Grumish, the one-eyed or god Grumish, he created the orcs. And uh, even orcs are torn away from him, can't fully escape his influence. The same is true about all half-orcs. Through, like, human blood makes it easier for them than orcs. So, some half-orcs might hear Grumish, like, whispers of Grumish in their dreams. Uh, others might feel like, like, Grumish is, like, like, just excited when they join in melee combat. That can be something Grumish. So Grumish wants them to unleash their rage that just simmers beneath them, that some half-orcs release it, some try and keep it in check. And, uh, yeah, so, as I said, they're not evil by nature, uh, but evil, it's, like, it does look beneath the surface and it's easy for them to turn the evil. So, be, like, even beyond Grummick's rage, half-orcs feel emotion powerfully. Like, rage doesn't just quicken their pulse, it makes their bodies burn. Like an insult stands like acid and sadness saps their strength. Like, but like the also they feel joy like ten times more. They laugh loudly and heartily, and they really enjoy simple body pleasures like feasting, drinking, wrestling, drumming, and wild dancing. And like they can also experience other emotions really strong too. Usually, like the orcs, they can be short tempered, and uh. They're more inclined to, like, action than talk. And the fighting than, like, arguing. Uh, but the most accomplished of half-orcs half are the ones with enough self-control to get by these difficulties. So, uh, half-orcs often live among orcs. Of all the races, humans are the most likely to accept half-orcs, other than orcs, of course. Uh, uh, and half-orcs, 
or and half orcs that don't live among humans pretty much always live with orc tribes. So, uh, so whether they're proving themselves amongst barbaric tribes or trying to sur- survive in cities, half orcs will get by by their physical might, like in cities. They might be like uh, thugs, like they might work as thugs, mercenaries, parts of like gangs, thieves' guilds, and in barbaric tribes, that's what they do. They raid towns for money, food, like stuff like that. And they also get by, so they get by in their physical might, their endurance, and their shield, and their shield de- determination that they inherit from humans. So, half-orc names. So, half-orcs usually have names appropriate to the culture where they're raised. If they're raised among orcs, they'll choose orc names, which I'll tell you some examples in a sec. If they're raised among humans, they'll have human names. So, if they already have names, they might trade them. Like in half-orc, that was raised among half-orcs, but suddenly going, like, living with humans might trade their orc name for a human name, and vice versa. Or some half-orcs might also trade their human names for orcs cause they, names because they sound, they think it sounds more intimidating. Or like they might trade for human names if they want to fit like a role among human society. Uh, so yeah, so I got some examples of male orc and female orc names and I'll list them out. So male orc names, Dench, Fen, Gel, Hank, Hog, Imsh. Keth, Krusk, Mihurin, Ront, Shump, Thok, and female orc names, Beggy, Emin, Engon, Kansef, Miev, Niga, Ovek, Onka, Shotha, Sutha, Vola, Volin, Yivilda, and, uh, yeah... Another thing is half orcs will always find a way to gain acceptance. Like from those who hate orcs. Some like will are reserved. They try not to draw attention to themselves. That can work. Others try to demonstrate pity and good hearted and good heartness. They hope to sway whoever hates orcs like minds about them. But sometimes these demonstrations are like not real, like they're lies. And, uh, yeah, some simply try to be tough to make others avoid them. So, you also got some traits. As always, humans have a plus one all ability scores. So they don't have any other traits other than that. So, uh, and so then you also get some traits that orcs have. I have in this other, one of those two, uh, Adam like uh books extra content vols got the monsters examiner's got everything remember you can vote on which one you want for the extra episodes in the seven days seven hour series at the dnd guide gmail.com no spaces no capitals uh and in the vols got the monsters one there's actually a new race with new options the orc which i can if you want that can be some of the extra content so so half work traits so they get a plus two to their strength score and a plus one to their constitution score. So half orcs will mature a little faster than humans. They reach adulthood around fourteen and they're 
they will age notably faster than humans and rarely live longer than 75 years. So, uh, because of their orc heritage, half-orcs usually tend towards chaos as an alignment, like, and they're not strongly inclined towards goods, but, uh, like, humans, if they raise them on humans, they could be whatever alignment. If they raise them on orcs, they're generally, like, chaotic evil, but they're usually, like, chaotic and then some alignment. If they raise them on orcs, they're probably chaotic evil, though. And then uh, size, so half-orcs are somewhat larger and bulkier than humans. They can range from 5 to 12 or 6 feet tall, maybe even up to 7 feet. So your size is medium. Speed, so your base walking foot speed is 30 feet. Dark vision, so because of your orc blood, you can see in the dark. You can see 60 feet in dim light, as if it was bright light. And 60 feet in uh, dark light, as if it was dim light. So because you're orc, like you're big, so big and material intimidating like you basically have like these big kind of fan like yeah you're intimidating you have proficiency in the intimidation skill and uh you have a trait called relentless endurance which is actually pretty good so when you reduce the zero hit points and are not killed outright you can drop the one hit point instead and you can't use this feature again until you finish a lawn rest after you've used it so, uh, you also have savage attacks. When you score a critical hit with a melee weapon attack, you can roll one of the weapon's damage dice one additional time and add it to the extra damage of the critical hit. That's also pretty good. And then you can speak languages. You can speak, read, and write common and orc. Orc is like a language with hard consonants. It has no script, uh, but usually when people write it, it they use the Dwarvish script. And, uh, yeah, so we're done orcs, and let's move on to tier friends. Yeah, so let's do tier friends. So, as always, I have a little clip to read. But you do see the way people look at you, devil's child. Those black eyes, cold as a winter storm, were staring right into her heart, and a sudden seriousness jolted her. What is it they say, he asked. One's a curiosity, two's a conspiracy, three's a curse, she finished. You think I haven't heard that rubbish before? I know you have. When she glared at him, he added, he added, It's not as if I'm plumbing the depths of your mind, dear girl. That's the bone of every tearflin. Some break under it, some make it the millstone around their neck, some revel in it. He told his head again, scrutinizing her with that wicked glint in his eyes. You fight it, don't you? Like a little wildcat, I wager. Every little jab and comment just sharpens your claws. And that was by Aaron M. Evans in his book, Brimstone Angels. So, Tiflins, the greed with stares and whispers. Like, people blatantly insult and commit violence to them on the street. Like, everyone mistrusts and fears them. This is the Tiflin, like, the burden of the Tiflin. Uh, and... Tearflins know that, know that this is because that years and years ago, generations back, some people struck a pact with Asmundus, the ruler of the Nine Hells, uh, into their bloodline. And, like, they struck a pact, and the, he infused an essence, part of his essence, into their bloodline, and that's why they look like devils and demons like they are today. 
so the appearance in nature are not their fault, but the result of an ancient sin for which they and their children and their children's children will always have to bear. So, Tiflins used to be humans, and uh, in the broadest possible sense, like, they still kind of look human. However, like, because of this pact, it's left a clear mark on their appearance. Like, Tiflins have large horns that take on a variety of shapes. Some are curling like a ram, others are straight and tall like a gazelle's, and some spiral upward like an antelope's. They have thick tails, four to five feet long, which will kind of show their motions by like lashing and coiling around their legs when they get upset and nervous. Like they have canine teeth that are sharp and pointed, and their eyes are solid colors, black, red, white, silver, or gold, but with no visible scala or pupil. Like, uh, their skin tones can be any uh, skin tone that humans have, but it can also be, like, various shades of red, which is what it usually is. Like, their hair uh, is usually dark, from black to brown to dark red, blue, or purple. They just look like, like devils and demons. Like, they look like something straight out of the Nine Hells. So, yeah. Tearflins. Usually, there's a small minority of tearflins in human cities and towns. And uh, they usually live in, like, the roughest, run-down parts of those places. Where they grow up to be swindlers, thieves, and crime lords. Like, uh, some will live in, like, minority populations in, like, enclaves. Where they are treated with more respect. Because those, like, some... Yeah. So, Tearflins don't have a homeland. Uh, So, they know that they have to make their own way in the world. And they have to be strong to survive. They are not quick to trust anyone. Because, like... Yeah, they're not quick to trust anyone. Because that trust has so many times been broken. But when, like, someone demonstrates that they can trust him or her, like, a tearflin learns to extend that same trust to them. And once a tearflin gives someone their trust, the tearflin, like, is their friend and ally for life. So, some tearflin names. So, uh, Tiflin names fall in the three broad categories. Like, Tiflins born in the other cultures typically have names, like, reflective of that culture. Some have names derived from the infernal language, passed down through generations that reflect their, like, their fiendish heritage. And, uh, some younger Tiflins uh, strive to find a place in the world. Adopt a name that signifies a virtue or other concept, and then try to embody that concept. For some, like the chosen name's a noble quest. For others, it's like a death, a grim destiny. So, you already know, like, if they're born to an elf, let's say a Tearflin's born to an elf, like, uh, like an elven forest, they might adopt an elf name. Or, if it's, like, in a bloodline and, like, it's been generations of these Tearflins, they'll probably have an infernal name. Or they might, if they're a young one and they want to 
like adopt a virtue or like a concept, they might have their own virtue names. So I'm going to list some male and female infernal names and then some virtue names. So male infernal names. Akminos, Amnon, Barakas, Damakos, Ekamon, Iados, Keron, Leokis, Melech, Mordai, Morthos, Pelios, Scamos, Therai, and then some female infernal names, Akta, Anakis, Brises, Krilala, Damia, Ea, Callista, Larissa, Macaria, Nemia, Oriana, Felia, Rita, and then some virtue names, Art, Karen, Chant, Creed, Despair, Excellence, Fear, Glory, Hope, Ideal, Music, Nowhere, Open, Poetry, Quest, Random, Reverence, Sorrow, Temerity, Torment, Weary. So, yeah. So, another thing is, people generally are mistrustful of Tearflins. Like, uh... Like, they generally assume that because of their infernal heritage, they're not only look evil, but they're also evil. Like, shopkeepers will clo- keep a close eye on their goods when Tearflins enter the stores. Like, town, like, a member of the town watch might follow Tearflins around for a while. Like, a group of, like, thieves might blame Tearflins for, like, a strange happening or a crime or something. Like... The reality is that their bloodline doesn't affect their personality. What probably is going to affect their personality is years of dealing with mistrust and, like, hate and fear. That's going to leave a, a big mark on those tier friends. Some choose to live up to that wicked stereotype, but others can be virtuous and heroes. Some, they're all very aware of how people respond to them, and after dealing with this mistrust, mistrust throughout the youth like they can off they often develop the ability to overcome this through charm or intimidation so your tearflins have certain racial traits because of their infernal heritage their intelligence your intelligence increases by one and your charisma increases by two and then uh tearflins like their age you'll mature at the same rate as humans but you'll live a few years longer in alignment, uh, Tearflins might not have any, like, innate, like, tendency towards evil, but most of them end up there because of, like, the mistrust, fear, and hate people give them. Like, but evil or not, Tearflins are very independent, so they usually are, have, like, a chaotic alignment. So they usually, like, either chaotic good, chaotic neutral, or chaotic evil. So size, Tearflins are about the same size and build as humans, so your size is medium. So speed, your base walking foot speed is 30 feet. So dark vision, so Tearflins can see in uh, dark up to 60 feet. They can see in dim light up to 60 feet as if it was bright light, and in dark light up to 60 feet as if it was bright, no, as if it was dim light. Uh, they also have a trait called health resistance, which is pretty good. You have resistance to fire damage, so when you take fire damage, you only take half damage. Then you have Infernal Legacy, which is really good. So you know the Thaumaturgy cantrip, which is like you create like these 
kind of effects like you can make your voice boom louder you can make like just uh i'll tell you it in a sec i'll read out these spells in a sec for you so when you reach third level you can cast a hellish rebuke spell as a second level spell once of this trait and you can and you regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest and when you reach fifth level you can cast a darkness spell once of this trait and you regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest so charisma is your spell casting ability for these spells and you can speak, read, and write, common and infernal. Those are languages you know. I'll read out these, this cantrip this foot feet, and these two second level spells. And then uh, no, no, uh, these two spells. And then, uh, and then, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah. How she buke is a first level spell, but you cast as a second level spell. Which, remember, means that it'll be stronger than a first level version. So, first of all, let's do the Thaumaturgy, the cantrip one. So, Thaumaturgy is where, uh, hmm. Yeah, I'll read you the spell, then we'll talk about it. So, Thaumaturgy is where, uh, it's a transmutation cantrip. Like, transmutations, like, you actively change the world. So, it takes one action to cast, it's, your range is 30 feet. Uh, you just need verbal components, so you just need to speak it, like speak some like words, and it lasts up to a minute. So you manifest like a minor wonder, a sign of supernatural power within range. You create one of the fallen magical effects within range. Your voice booms up to three times as loud as normal for one minute. You cause flames to flicker, brighten, dim, or change color for one minute. You cause harmless tremors in the ground for one minute. You create an instantaneous sound that originates from a point of your choice within range, such as a rumble of thunder, the cry of a raven, or ominous whispers. And uh, you instantly cause an unlocked door or window to fly open or slam shut. You alter your appearance of your eyes for one minute. And if you cast this spell multiple times, you can have up to three of its one-minute effects active at a time. And you can dismiss such an effect, effect as an action. And, uh, yeah, so that's the cantrip, so it can be useful in, like, distracting, like, enemies, sneaking past, it can be useful in social situations, to, like, like, it can be useful to intimidate people, it can be useful in social situations, because of, like, making different sounds and stuff, like, you just, it's really useful for, in my experience, it's really useful for distracting people. It's not how it should be, So, Hellish Rebuke. So, first level evocation, which means, like, it harms. Like, it does big, like, instantaneous, like, effects. Like, damaging effects. So, casting time. One reaction, which you take in response to being damaged by a creature within 60 feet of you that you can see. Its range is 60 feet. Uh, you need the speak stuff. And then you also need, uh, so you need the speak, like, some words. So, if you're... Like, if you're blind, not blindfolded, like, if you have a gag over your mouth, you can't do that because that's verbal components. And then you also need to uh, have somatic components, which are, like, gestures, so you need your hands free, too. And its duration is instantaneous, so, like, it instantly happens. So you point your finger, and the, cre and, uh, the creature that was just damaged you that's within 60 feet of you is momentarily surrounded by hellish flames the creature must make a dex saving though it takes 
2 die 10 fire damage on failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. And at higher levels, when you cast a spell using a spell slot second level or higher, the damage increases by 1 die 10 for each slot above first. But since when you get this ability at third level, it says that you cast as a second level spell, instead of 2 die 10 fire damage on failed save, it's going to be 3 die 10. So now the last one, the spell Darkness, which you get at fifth level, it's a second level one. Darkness, I'll read it out and we'll talk about it. So, Darkness, so it's evocation, so it creates like big, like active effects. Uh, takes one action to cast, its range is 60 feet. Oh, remember you can take one action per round, one bonus action, and then one reaction per round. Uh, then, uh, it takes, you need like to speak some stuff, you need some materials, you need bat fur and a drop or a pit, uh, and a drop of pitch or a piece of coal. And uh, it'll la it can last up to 10 minutes, but you need to concentrate. So if you lose your concentration, the spell will end. And uh, so when you do it, magical dark so when you cast it magical darkness spreads from a point you choose within range to fill 15 foot radius sphere for the duration the darkness spreads around corners a creature of dark vision can't see through the darkness and non-magical light can't illuminate it if the point you choose is on an object you are holding or one that isn't being worn or carried the darkness animates from the object and moves with it completely covering the source of the darkness with an opaque object such as a bowl or helm blocks the darkness. If any of the spells area overlaps with a spell, uh, uh, with a spell like that gives magical light, created by a spell second level or lower, uh, that spell that created the light is dispelled. So, darkness can like, it can be useful to like, to like make. If you put enemies in darkness, they'll be disoriented. It'll be hard for them to attack until they move out of it. You can put yourself, uh, you can put like an item in darkness, like uh, really useful thing. Uh, I'm actually gonna try this soon in more of like a dandy game. I'm gonna cast darkness on like something someone's wearing or like. Like, something something has. Like, there's a group of enemies. Like, let's say there's a group of enemy goblins. I cast darkness on one of the goblins' swords. Not the sword. Like, let's say one of the goblins' uh, pants. So now that goblin, like, the, it's all darkness. They can't tell it's given off the darkness because they can't see. And as they move around, at least one of the goblins, as he moves around, the darkness will follow him. So that can be useful and they can't see. And we can just, we'll have disadvantage on attacking, same with him. But, yeah, maybe we can sneak by or, like, form a bigger plan and cast some more helpful spells as that happens. So it can be real useful. So, uh, yeah. So we're at the end of the episode. And, uh, yeah. Before we go, just like to say something about, oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry again for... Uh, did I say this? I forget about, like, this episode going out late. It was supposed to go out yesterday. So to make up for that, I'll put out two episodes tomorrow. So before we go, I'll just tell you some of the content. There's two special content books that you can vote on at the dndguy.gmail.com. Since you probably won't have time to vote before the two episodes tomorrow, 
if you do vote oh, that's best I'll that's okay that's awesome I'll pick whatever book you guys vote on and uh, but you, most of you guys probably won't have time to vote well it's okay if you don't vote uh, and uh, so whenever you can just go and vote and uh, we'll do some extra content on that or if you want some extra content on anything else yeah so now since we're om- we're pretty much through how to play now we're just doing how to create a character that we're gonna start having a lot more content geared towards experienced players okay so on the extra content book I have exams got everything it has we haven't done classes yet but we're gonna do it soon it has all these really good subclasses new players might not understand what this is but so you you already know they choose a, a race which is like race gives you like some abilities your background gives you then you choose a class which gives you a lot of abilities and as you level up you level up in your class and then you choose your background which is kind of like your backstory so sometimes there'll be subclasses which are like in classes like usually all list abilities you guys you level up but sometimes there'll be subclasses which are like more choice to what abilities you get and this exam this guide everything has at least two more subclasses for each class in the game so it's really cool you newer i don't like you newer players probably won't understand it but so i probably if no one votes on this i probably won't pick it but if you more experienced players want to learn about this then sure it also has like a lot of new more stuff for helping you create your character's backstory and stuff and also has a lot of new spells in it then this uh volus guide the monsters is also really cool it's got first of tons of monster lore, personalities, backstories, maps, all this stuff on helping you create maps and like games and stuff for nine different types of monsters. Like all this info on nine different types of monsters to help you create like stuff for them. That's also got like a whole pile, I think it's 13, I'm not sure, new races you can play. And then finally, it's got over, it's got over a hundred new monsters you can have in your game and uh yeah they're really cool so don't uh so please if you want you can vote on it to decide this extra content if not i'll just decide and uh yeah you can vote on it at the dndguide.gmail.com the one more time the dndguide.gmail.com no spaces no capitals it'll be in the episode's description and uh yeah so there'll be a link in about if this in the episode description and uh yeah so i'll see you guys more